All right. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast as uh, we look ahead to preview Purdue's uh, football game Saturday uh, against uh, Northwestern at ross Aid Stadium. Senior day for the Boilermakers, so more than 20 um, seniors or redshirt juniors or whoever wants to go through the ceremony, mm-hmm. I guess, will participate. And, and some of those seniors probably will come back because we're still in the COVID era of uh, guys getting eligibility so just because you walk through senior day doesn't mean you won't come back the, the example last year was uh, uh aiden o'connell uh, he went through senior mm-hmm. day but and then came back for his sixth year all right we're going to break down the wildcats with alex cervantes from the daily northwestern uh he's originally from charlotte north carolina he's a junior and he informed me that he will not be going in the transfer portal at the end <laughs> of this year uh, nor does he have an NIL deal. Uh, so he's looking for uh, to capitalize on some uh, some things uh, here. Alex, thanks for joining the podcast and uh, hope you're having a good day. And um, how are things going right now? It's a great way to start the morning. I appreciate you having me on. Um, things, things are going well. The, the quarter's winding to an end, about to, have, um, about to start prepping for finals. But it's good, aside from you know, the, the the sad days that have become my weekends covering this team sometimes, but it's good. It's, it's going good. Let me tell you, this will, this will harden you as you get out into the profession, knowing what you went through this year, every week, trying to be somewhat creative in describing yes. the same thing that happens every week. Yeah. It's, it's something trying to find an angle or something. Right. It will benefit you, trust me. And I always enjoy when Purdue plays Northwestern, not because I like seeing Northwestern, but a chance to <laughs> talk with uh, the up-and-coming generation of the next sports media. And uh, I've always always enjoyed that, getting to meet guys that are going to be in this profession, hopefully for a long, long time, and kind of shape the way it goes in the future. So, Alex, uh, good luck to you uh, down the line. So I appreciate it. All right, let's talk Northwestern. As I like to call Northwestern, they they are uh, O for America. Uh, they win in Ireland, and then they haven't won in the United States since. So, if you kind of surmise why they are one in nine, that would probably help our audience maybe understand. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> there has been kind of the issues that plagued last year. There was kind of a quarterback carousel last year. It's kind of similar this year. Uh, Coach Fitz has gone in between Ryan Holinsky and Brandon Sullivan. Though Sullivan has won the job recently. Um, the ground game really hasn't – the ground game has kind of been hit or miss behind the O-line. It really is just kind of which side of the ball shows up every weekend. Um, I, I don't think since since the game in Ireland that there's been a game where both sides show up for all four quarters. I know that might be a general statement applicable to some teams, but it's really been the case for Northwestern. Um, the the defense has been riddled with injuries, which is just and they've got some guys playing out of position, which has kind of hurt them. Um, and then I think just sometimes they get out athleted, like it's just the nature of the beast. Kind of at Northwestern, you do you, you do have some academic requirements that may bar certain athletes from coming, and so it's just kind of a, a myriad of factors I would say that are lending itself to a one and nine record. That also has to do with some changes that probably need to be made on the coaching staff. You know, and I, you know, I understand when you get in the big 10, it's a different level of competition, but when you look at what happened in their non-conference schedule, 
you know, losing to Southern Illinois and uh, a MAC team, yeah. and then you know maybe not getting beat by Duke is would be a bad thing. But mm-hmm. uh, things unraveled quickly after that first game in uh, uh, Ireland. I mean, what what did you see during that stretch that really raised some alarms for you? I would say like. I would say the Duke end it. I mean, now Duke's seven and three, so like it's not necessarily a bad loss. The manner in which they went down twenty-one nothing in the first quarter was alarming, but they came back and barring Evan Hole not fumbling at the goal line, it was probably a tie ball game. Um, so like that wasn't alarming, but it was just like there was a certain lack of urgency. I would say in the in the two when they played Miami, Ohio, and Southern Illinois. Um, I missed the Southern Illinois game in fairness because of a family thing, but. The Miami Ohio game was just a weird one. It was it was the first game that they've dropped um, to a backup quarterback this season. They've lost three games to backup quarterbacks, um, and it just, it, it's just it's it's a myriad of like puzzling play calling, and then just simply they don't execute. I, I can't I I've lost count the number of times Coach Fitz has said at a has said at a press a post game presser that this team is not this team has missed gaps and they haven't filled gap. They've missed tackles and they haven't filled gaps. Well, um, I, I think I could recite that from memory at this point, if you asked me to do a mock presser, but um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's those little things that like there, there is some kind of gap that that's been talked about. There's been some kind of gap between what they practice and then the execution at the end of the week on Saturdays. And I don't know whether that gap falls on the coaching staff, whether it falls on the players executing, but there is, Something that happens between their last practice on Thursday, they do walk through on Friday, and then they take the field Saturday. I don't know what it is, but they just haven't really been able to put it together. So going into this week, what is the quarterback situation? I know that he made a change uh, mm-hmm. around midseason. Uh, yeah. It really hasn't provided any better results. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of who who do you expect to, to start, and will we see two or maybe three quarterbacks on Saturday? I definitely think you'll see at least two. Northwestern is not great about providing injury availabilities or like anything up to that's just kind of what fits in that program has done. So that we it's just we we've kind of accepted that reality. But um start starting quarterback Brendan Sullivan went down with an injury in the second quarter against Minnesota. He returned for one series and then was pulled again by the medical staff. I think his availability is up in the air. I would assume Purdue's game planning for him to be under center, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, Ryan Holinsky, I think, is done for the year. He just had surgery. It looked like he um, something happened with his knee. His knee, like, hyperextended after a late tackle. Um, was that the last week? Against Minnesota. It was, was against last? last week against okay. Minnesota. He had to get carted off the field. And then um, – the, the next two guys that took snaps were Cole Free or sophomore Cole Freeman and uh, junior Carl Richardson. I would lean if if it's one of those two. Junior Carl Richardson has more Richardson has more um, snaps. He's kind of the guy. Whether they're getting blown out, when, if they're getting blown out late, he gets thrown in for a couple of series. He threw a really bad pick late against Minnesota, which is why they pulled him and gave Freeman some run. But I, I would assume. I mean, Richardson's been in the program longer. Um, I, I would assume they lean Richardson but there's a lot, a lot of questions under center and they're absolutely are going to probably be a rotating string of guys well if they've watched Purdue secondary I would imagine they would have <laughs> quarterbacks lining up to play because Purdue secondary has been really bad uh this year so at what point did they just go wildcat and give the ball to Evan Hall and let him run the offense 
Um, I I have nightmares from our Ohio State game. I don't. I I really cannot. So I actually I counted it post game. They ran the Wildcats seventeen times that game. I get that there was an unnatural weather event that was affecting the ball. We saw what it how it affected CJ Stroud, but they ran in the Wildcat with Cam Porter and Evan Hole seventeen times on fifty nine rushing attempts, which is just absurd. They won a whole series doing Wildcats. It was like I, I don't even know what Mike Bajakin was thinking, but I I. I mean, to a certain degree, if if Cole Freeman is in there and his first start as a Northwestern quarterback, they're just going to try and feed their running backs. And I know this is a Purdue defense that concedes barely over like 110 rushing yards per game. Right. And this O-line has been up and down, even with Skaronsky at left tackle. They've had some injuries. Josh Preeb is out for the year. And so I <laughs> – I mean, I expect Evan Hall to get at least 20 carries on Saturday. Cam Porter will probably get at least 10. It'll just – it's just uh, – it's been tough. Like, after – really after that, the Nebraska and Duke game, Evan Hall just, like, hasn't kind of hit that stride again. Um, he only had 13 carries for 54 yards against Minnesota. They kind of bottled him up in the backfield. So, we'll see what happens. I'm sure the Wildcat will be in use. I'll throw a fit in the press box. We'll, it'll be a great day. <laughs> Um, but Hall has been their, I guess, their yeah. brightest spot this year, right? And why why mm-hmm. has he been their brightest spot? He can – I mean, besides the fact that he is – he can get downhill in a hurry. He's got a great lower body strength to kind of break tackles. He hits, he hits holes pretty well. Um, and he's a good pass catcher out of the backfield, which is what, like, his kind of – especially with Holinsky before they switched to Sullivan, who, who was more – mobile outside of the pocket would kind of just if a play broke down you just kind of run um they were using home more in the passing game they've got to get him more touches he's their best offensive weapon um but yeah he just he he i i i had a i had a friend like last night on um another podcast we recorded he he said evan hole was one of like five big 10 caliber players on this roster um and so i i think that probably aptly sums it up but he he's their most explosive player. He's um, he's the reason he's one of the kick returners. Like you, you just got to get him the ball and let him let him try and make s- some semblance of magic. You mentioned earlier about the defense with guys maybe playing out of position uh, mm-hmm. due due to a lot of factors. But how have they held up against the pass this year? Because obviously Purdue, that's what they do, and they have Charlie Jones, mm-hmm. who's yeah, had a great year, and O'Connell's had a good year and they've got some other weapons there. How, how do you, how do you foresee Northwestern trying to deal with Purdue's passing game? I mean, like the, the passing game has really been just kind of all over the place. Guys I thought would torch this team, regardless of the weather, CJ Stroud those for 76 yards. Then they make um, Graham Mertz and uh, Spencer Petrus look like Heisman contenders. So like, <laughs> I just, I don't, there, there's such a large, so like I would say, over the course of the season that the DB room has played good. Um, it has not been obviously up to like what the sky room was in 2020 when they made the big 10 championship game, but like Coco Asimo, one of their safeties went out early in the season. Jaheim Joseph's out. They have a first year playing like as a corner. Now he had a forced fumble against Minnesota, but he's only, that was his second career game. He's going to see a lot of time on the field on Saturday. They still have AJ Hampton and Cam Mitchell. They can lean on. I would think Mitchell probably matches up with, Jones on Saturday um I think it's more so just like the the it's less so on the sec I found that because the defensive line can't get to the quarterback 
they just have so much time to sit in the pocket and wait for something to develop that it's just that kind of handicaps the secondary. If if that defensive line can get up there and get to the quarterback and hurry and pressure him a little bit, then maybe they can make some plays. But I just – I don't know. Like, it, you can't really, like, gauge sometimes what the secondary is going to look like because they got torched by Iowa and Wisconsin, and then they held up amid the weather against Penn State and um, Ohio State. But, like, it's just – kind of a revolving door kind of you never know what you're really going to get yeah i mean purdue got torched by iowa too so that's <laughs> they're in the same they're in the same company okay so you, you, as, as you guys reach the the mid midway point of the year you knew the season was going south and yep. so over the last few weeks you and your colleagues kind of what are some bullet points that that need to happen for this program to get back uh, to get back on track and to be, you know, to be honest, just be more competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, got another year of the Big Ten West next season before everybody joins the, the one division party. But w- what things have you guys discussed as a staff? Like, okay, these two, three, two or three things have to happen for this program to to change it, change its identity and change itself a little bit. I mean, the first the first thing that everyone will pinpoint is that they have to make a change in the coordinator's room, whether that's getting rid of both Mike Pajakian and Jim O'Neill or getting rid of one or the other, Fitzgerald has to really evaluate their play calling. Um, It it almost like it it really is because Pajakian to me is a guy that he he has experience, but it's like, if, if a play works, it's like, it's like a seven-year-old playing Madden. They're just going to go back to it until it doesn't work because they saw it work one time and they just figured it's going to work again, which is what we see with the Wildcat. We saw him rush Evan Hall up the middle like three consecutive times on a pivotal drive against Minnesota. It, it, like there's no – and maybe maybe he, maybe he's handicapped by the personnel available to him. He doesn't have a ton of – like maybe he just doesn't have enough athletes. But there's not been enough ingenuity offensively. And then defensively, it has just been a roller coaster of emotions. Um and it's been that way since last year. Obviously, Hankwitz, it's tough to replace. And, like, that identity just hasn't been the same since. Um, I would say it starts there. And then I just – you, you got to – if Solomon's your guy, you got to really hope he pans out. You got to continue to get him reps in the offseason. Otherwise, I would say you got to hit the portal harder. That You've got to reevaluate your recruiting and, port, and your portal approach to a certain degree. Um I think Adam Rittenberg had a fantastic like ESPN plus article on it a couple, a week or two ago, he outlined like the five things Northwestern would have to fix. And then I, I think it's also like Fitz just has to, has to do some introspection on where like he can get this team because in 2019, he promised that that was the last three nine season that Northwestern would ever have. Then it happens in 2021. And now they're not in all likelihood, they're not going to get to three wins. So now you're staring down four wins in two seasons after making the big 10 West title game. Um, I get that. Like, it, it, it is just one of those things where I think any other Power 5 program would not tolerate. We saw how quickly Wisconsin got rid of Chris. We've seen the other coaching moves teams have made. But um, I, w- I would say – I would outline those three things. And, like and, – and Fitz said at a press conference that, like, he's just got to get this team older. I think they've been riddled by injuries, which hasn't helped their continuity. But at some point, you've got to have these guys ready to play and – Maybe that's just due to the fact that they're young or that they're in a new system. But um, I would say it's kind of 
combining those four things. It was or has been Northwestern active in the transfer portal. Um, and how much can they realistically do in that area? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I was a little too harsh. They only added like, I think it was a single digits transfers um, last year. It was probably, I think it was either seven or nine. Um, they added, I mean, the, the biggest transfer to me has been um, Jeremiah Lewis, who's kind of filled in at safety for them after playing corner at Duke for four years. So I don't know, like a, a master's degree or a graduate degree from Northwestern is always enticing for some of these guys, but it is just going to be about maybe not. I mean, adding the experience is always necessary when you have some of these younger squads that um, – it's kind of employed recently, but I think, I mean, to a certain degree next season, you're just going to have to bank on your returners stepping up once again, like, um, uh, at a time or is going to be gone. Like you, you're, you're losing Skaronsky too. You're going to have to see what the guy, I mean, they have a great recruiting class next year, but are those first years going to be ready to play? Are you bringing in some of the four stars on your D line and your linebacking room? Like you've got to, you, you've got all these guys that, have come from above average classes from Northwestern in terms of like what you're usually able to do. And so I think it's, I think it's almost just like leaning on them, but to answer your question, I don't know how much like they can actually do in the portal. I think, and I think it's really hard to recruit when you're a program that has four wins in two seasons. True. So how much, um, how active is Northwestern in the NIL part of it? <laughs> and if they're not, I mean, why not? <laughs> and how you know, and how I, much how much is that gonna play a role in not just football, but their their entire athletic department as far as you know where they want to take this thing? Well, I think I was talking to someone the other day. We're one of I think Northwestern is one of five schools without an NIL without an NIL collective. Um they they have established a couple things. They they established like the 5980 academic achievements. So if, if student athletes hit a certain um, GPA, they they get a stipend right. of up to five thousand nine hundred eighty dollars, and then they have they have a deal with fanatics where um, right now it's just fall sports, but it's expected to transition to winter and spring. That you can onto sweatshirts or t-shirts, you can add um, a player's name from any sport, and so like I don't know how much athletes like get from that. I remember um, when like actual football program like it really is just a poor man's version of like the the nike and adidas jerseys that have bryce young and dj angalele and like a laundry list of players on the backs of their jersey you can find on fanatics um and those guys are only getting just such a minimal percentage of those sales i can't imagine what these athletes are getting off of the hoodies and t-shirts um and that they they've established some deals with supposedly these companies that are at the forefront of nil but like you really haven't seen it pay dividends right now um and like there there are players who establish their own individual nil deals but it's not enough to sustain i don't think um ryan olinsky has a couple i know brandon joseph before he transferred to notre dame had one um but it's just it's it's just one of those things they're not really pushing right now, and I think Derek Bragg and that athletic department has to evaluate that because it, it is such an integral piece of where the college athletics landscape is moving right now. Right. Also, wanted to ask you a uh, new stadium coming for football. Uh, yep. Can't remember, 
can't remember the year exactly it's supposed to open. Is it what year? 2026. 2026. So how do you see that impacting the program and um, can it, can it provide uh, a boost to, to them to, to kind of get things back on track? I really hope so. It'll be enticing. Um, nonetheless, I, I think at the very least, the thing I'm looking most forward to is that the reduction of seats increases the likelihood that Northwestern fans hopefully will outnumber visiting fans. Um, tired of seeing more red or more black than there is purple. Um, so I think that is a plus. I think that now you are combining Ryan, all the amenities that Ryan Fieldhouse has to offer, plus the academics at Northwestern, plus now a renovated stadium that is much more appealing than something that was built a century ago, sitting in the heart of Evanston. Um, I think it will certainly play a role, but I, I think it comes back to, like, A, you've just got to get back to winning, but B, you've really got to evaluate how much NIL can benefit these players. Mm-hmm. So uh, have they decided uh, when during construction where they'll play? Oh no, that's going to be a nightmare. They have not decided at all. I, I envision that they are likely going to try and do something at Soldier Field. That's, I mean, that's just an even greater nightmare for students to get down for an 11 a.m. kickoff against Iowa in 2024, 2025. Um, Soldier Field makes the most logical sense. I jokingly said they could play at Evanston Township High School, um, <laughs> but uh, like it. Soldier Field seems to be the one. I mean, you've got to now figure out rideshare apps and the CTA lines to get down there, and just it, it's just it, it's going to be a mess. But I, I would think they play at Soldier Field. Would Wrigley Field be an option, like in November? It could be an option. I don't know how. I mean, like the problem with Wrigley is that you have both teams on the same sideline, right. um, and then you know it just. I don't know if Wrigley would be willing to convert part of their stadium into it like if because if northwestern isn't going to play at soldier field and they're like hey wrigley can we play here like i don't think the cubs are going to taint what their stadium looks like for the end of the season just so northwestern can play football on saturdays all right alex cervantes from northwestern a junior he's originally from charlotte kind enough to join us today on the boilers (laughs) extra podcast to uh break down northwestern go over all their uh their issues and how they can Mm -hmm. fix it. Uh, So uh, Alex, appreciate you jumping on today. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully to see you on Saturday after you make the the trip down, uh, Mm -hmm. bundle up, it will be cold. Uh, You'll be be inside uh, for Mm -hmm. the game and uh, you won't, you won't have to venture much outside uh, to, to do your business. So that's the good news. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Well, once again, thanks to Alex for joining us on the Boilers Extra podcast to break down Northwestern, the problems the Wildcats have had this year, and you know potentially what can be done to, to fix it. And I do think the new stadium probably will add some uh, spice uh, to the program. And you know, as Alex mentioned, keep visiting team fans out of the, out of the building. And uh, maybe that will help them uh, in the big picture. Uh, Saturday's game for Purdue, pretty clear. Need a win to stay in the race for the Big Ten West. Uh, Win the last two, you get at least a share of the title. And you can hang a banner and host a parade and do whatever you want. Uh, If your goal is to get to the conference championship game, then 
uh, Purdue needs to win two, and then have Iowa lose to Minnesota or Nebraska to, to reach that point. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, comments, snarky comments uh, made about uh, made about that situation. Uh, you know, in reality, and that's kind of what you try to deal with, reality is that the winner of the West is, is going to be a heavy, heavy underdog to whoever comes out of the East. And, you know, we've seen Ohio State beat Iowa already this year. Uh, we've seen Michigan beat Iowa uh, this year. Uh, you know, Michigan and Illinois play on uh, Saturday. Uh, that probably will not end well for Illinois. Uh, but whoever wins the West is, is going to be a, you know, big-time underdog and not have any chance. Um, now, you go and play the game. You know, if it's Purdue, then you just you go play the game and see what happens. Uh, it would be it would be a nice accomplishment for the program to be in that position to play on that stage. Uh, but you know, in 2018, you know, we all thought that Ohio State would come into Ross State Stadium and just you know win, you know, 49 to three or 49 to 10, and uh, it didn't happen. There were you know circumstances around that game that allowed Purdue to win and. You know, you're at Rossi, the home crowd and all that. But, um, you know, clearly the best case for scenario is Purdue to get a piece of the West, but then uh, not play in that championship game and avoid, you know, a potential blowout loss. And how that would affect uh, the bowl game, you know, I don't know uh, for sure. At one time, there was a provision that the loser of the conference championship game could only drop so far in the bowl pecking order. I don't know if that's still the case because we're under a new agreement now uh, of how bowl games are are picked and slotted and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, Purdue's probably, you know, they're, if they end up eight and four uh, or eight and five, uh, they're probably headed for, um, you know, potentially a, a, a bowl game in Florida. Uh, against an SEC team or, you know, Charlotte with the, the Duke Mayo's Bowl against an ACC team. Uh, you want a good matchup is what you want. And uh, Purdue's played its share of SEC teams here uh, recently down in Nashville. And, you know, there's just so many other questions that come with the bowl game as far as who's going to be available, who's going to opt out, uh, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think, you know, from the competitive standpoint, you you know, as a player, as a coach, as a program, you know, you want to take this as, as far as you can. And if that means you got to go play in Indianapolis against Ohio State or Michigan, then that's what you do. Uh, you got to play those two schools next year. Uh, they're on the schedule and they're going to be on the schedule on a semi-annual uh, regular basis anyway. So, you know, you got you to go play. And while in the when you look at the big picture of it, Probably the best thing for Purdue would just, you know, win the West or get a piece of the West and let somebody else, you know, go to go to Indianapolis. And uh, but I just and you know, I think you uh, again, I think you want to keep playing as long as you can and whatever game you can and uh, keep going from there and uh, kind of see where where things uh, land. Uh, it would be, I think, an exciting week for the program if it got to that point. You know, being in Indianapolis, you think you'd have pretty good fan support. Uh, you know, the other team wouldn't take you seriously, and you know maybe you uh, you create a surprise or at least put.
push them to the point where um, they, they got to play. They got to play harder. Last time, you know, Purdue was in Lucas Oil Stadium. They were about a 30 point underdog to Louisville and uh, almost pulled that one out. So, uh, a different situation, I know. Um, the, the thought of uh, Purdue secondary facing Ohio State's passing attack probably would bring nightmares to uh, <laughs> Ron English and Jeff Brom. Uh, but we'll see if they get there. Purdue Purdue should take care of business on Saturday. There's no reason for them not to, even though uh, they are banged up uh, in the uh, in the in the linebacker core. They won't have Kieran Douglas. They won't have Clyde Washington. Uh, they're very thin at that position. But really, Northwestern hasn't done anything offensively here recently that would really frighten you. But you know this Purdue team is, has a, such a small margin for error, regardless of the competition that. You know, it needs to do things right. There were some improvements in the secondary last week because of what happened on the defensive line. They got a little bit more pressure. Um, but there were still a lot of wide-open guys, uh, Illinois, that Tommy DeVito just missed. And there was a trick play that was that was overthrown. There were a couple others that he, he wasn't on the mark. And, you know, and that's part of it. But, um, you know, the, the cast that Purdue has in the secondary is what it's going to be the rest of the season. Uh, obviously a position in the off season that needs a lot of attention and a lot of upgrades um, from that standpoint. But, you know, these are the guys that they have. These are the guys that are going to play and go from there. Uh, I would expect Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones to hook up quite frequently since it's the last home game for the two. Um, And although Aiden did a great job of spreading the ball around against Illinois, I would, I would anticipate, um, a lot of targets to Charlie, but I don't think you'll forget about his tight end, Payne Durham, who's also going to play in his last home game. So uh, Purdue should, again, should uh, roll to roll to victory. But, you know, Purdue hasn't beaten Northwestern or Ross Age Stadium since 2007. It's five straight wins. Uh, it's a long time, 2007. Uh, so, that you know, they, they've got to break that streak. And uh, turnovers has usually been uh, the thing that has killed them. Uh, against Northwestern. All right. Once again, thanks to Alex for joining us on the the Boulders Extra podcast. And uh, I'll be back uh, after the game on Saturday to recap what happened and look ahead to uh, what, you know, what's going to happen the next week as far as the ramifications go for the Big Ten West. You know, if Iowa beats Minnesota, I think they're pretty much home free because they're going to play Nebraska on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And they'll be a, a heavy favorite in that one. Um, so really, to me, the, what happens in the Big Ten West as far as who represents the the division in the championship game comes down to uh, what happens between Iowa and, and Minnesota. Uh, and Iowa's had Minnesota's number uh, since uh, P.J. Fleck got in the league. Uh, the defense is outstanding. You know about the offensive problems there. Um, so I think we'll have a really good picture of what, what could happen and what's going to happen uh, after this weekend, assuming that Purdue takes care of business against Northwestern. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Be uh, be back after the game Saturday to recap what happened and look ahead to Bucket Week and uh, what's in store for the, the week of Thanksgiving.